Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave your apostles grace truly to believe and to preach your word. Grant that we might love what they believed and preach what they taught through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So um, this morning I want to take a look with you at the epistle that we read this morning from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. Um, it struck me as a very helpful text for where you are as a congregation. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want to set the stage for you uh, before we get in. So, so where we are is, if you back up just a little bit, St. Paul, uh, on his missionary journeying that he did in the New Testament, um, had a dream. He had this vision that motivated his life. And that is, he wanted to be the one who took the gospel to places that had never heard the gospel. He was a missionary. He had this entrepreneurial spirit for going places where the gospel had never gone before. He remembered from his study of the law that God had promised that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Paul wanted to be a part of the fulfillment of that promise that through Jesus everyone would be blessed. Jesus had commanded, and Paul had learned, that Jesus had commanded that the gospel be taken to the uttermost parts of the earth. He wanted to see that carried out. So that was the motivating vision that Paul had for his whole life. And one night on one of his missionary journeys, he was asleep in the city of Troas, which is on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea. And he had a dream. And in the dream, a man from Macedonia, which was on the western shore of the Aegean Sea, nobody had ever gone over there with the gospel yet, uh, he had a dream of a man from over there calling to him, saying, come, help us. Paul woke up, took that as a clear call of the Holy Spirit that he was supposed to leave his plans, which were to sort of get to the eastern shore of the Aegean and then begin to head back. He took it as God's will and God's clear call in his life that he was supposed to follow on across the Aegean Sea and then to follow what was becoming known as the Via Ignatia. It was this one of the great Roman roads that connected major cities. Um, cities that we then hear about over the course of the next several chapters if you're following Paul's missionary journeys in Acts. And oddly enough, even though the call from the Holy Spirit to go across the sea to Macedonia was so crystal clear. He was so undoubtedly and crystally clear in his calling. He knew that he was going exactly where the Lord wanted him to go. When he gets there and he begins doing ministry, nothing but trouble follows. Right? I mean, we, we have this notion in our hearts and minds that if we're walking in the will of the Lord, then things are going to go well for us. Not true. <laughs> Not true at all. And Paul is this morning's exhibit A of that. He goes first to Philippi, and he gets thrown in prison, and he has to escape. And then he makes his way to Thessalonica. 
And he has to leave in less than a month's time, although he was able to preach the gospel and although some people came to know Jesus, he had to leave in less than a month's time because mobs began to grow up and people began to riot all around him because of what he was doing. He got chased out of Thessalonica, had to leave to get away with his life. He comes to Berea where the trouble from Thessalonica follows him. The mobs and the rioters from Thessalonica chase after him, making his life as miserable in Berea as it had been in Thessalonica. He has to flee Berea. He comes to Athens. And in Athens he preaches that great sermon that we know, the one about the unknown God when he preaches at the Areopagus. Um, But again, has not much in the way of success. So, so far in following Jesus, he's run into prison, into riots, into mobs. He's had a few converts, but hardly anything to show for it. Finally, finally he arrives in Corinth and things begin to go a little bit better. He gets to settle down for a while and begin to do the work of building the church. All of this hardship happens following the clear call from God. So, he's following a clear call enjoying almost no success. And, according to Paul's own testimony, all of this following the the Lord's willing had left him completely beaten up. Later, writing back to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he writes that when he got to Corinth after Philippi, after Berea, after Thessalonica, after Athens, he comes to Corinth and he says, I came to you in weakness and fear, and trembling. I mean, imagine that. This is Paul, the great apostle Paul. When he arrives in Corinth, he is a trembling, shaking, emotional wreck because of all of the difficulties he had encountered up until that point. So, We find him in this epistle, he's having gone to Thessalonica, having preached, having seen some conversions both among Jews and Gentiles, but having had to leave prematurely, he had since that time worried desperately about the Christians that he had left behind in Thessalonica. He had had to leave them before he felt any kind of confidence at all that they were securely rooted and established in the faith. And so as he went from one place to another, encountering difficulty after difficulty, it always weighed on his heart and on his mind about these new converts in Thessalonica that were being already oppressed for trying to follow Jesus. Would they remain faithful? Would they stay true to the gospel? Now, um, he had not been able to go back there. He'd been worrying about them, but he'd not been able to return. And he says to them um, that he had had this intense longing to see them again, but Satan had kept that from happening. But he had decided to send Timothy. And Timothy went to Thessalonica, and uh, Timothy lived there, and he built up the church, and he, um, he did great things. And word got back to Paul, and Paul was ecstatic to hear that although he had only been there for a short time, and his time there had been just fraught with difficulty, that an amazing thing had happened, that the church of, at Thessalonica had taken root, and it had begun growing. It was a thriving community of Christian believers in the midst of a hostile, challenging world. It was just an amazing thing to him because in the midst of that hostility with very little apostolic training, this group was growing. They were preaching the gospel. 
They were seeing lives being changed. And so then Paul writes them two letters that we have as First and Second Thessalonians. And in those letters, he addresses various issues that face them as a church. In those letters, he is full of praise and admiration and encouragement for that church. And he reminds them in the portion that we read this morning that God apparently had chosen them to be the first fruits of the gospel as it had come into Europe. This was the first establishment of the Christian faith. This was the first church that took root. They were the first fruits of the gospel in this new part of the world. And he encourages them. And he reminds them that they had been promised to obtain to the very glory of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Paul encourages them and admonishes them and instructs them. And in the portion that we read this morning, his instruction really is twofold. The first thing that he tells them to do is to hold on. Hold on, he says. Now, not the sort of wait and do nothing hold on, right? Not the sort of slow down, Captain, you'll, you know, take it easy. Not that sort of hold on, but the stay focused, stay on task, hold on to what you know to be true no matter what happens. He says, um, that they are to stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or in our letters. Have you ever read through the letters of Paul in the New Testament? Not, not just the Pauline letters, but all the letters. This idea, this idea that it is a fundamental requirement, a fundamental task, a fundamental duty of Christians everywhere to hold fast to that which had been given to them. To not mess it up, to not change it, to not alter it, but to cling to it desperately as a person clings to a life preserver in the middle of a, of a torrential ocean. The gospel has been entrusted to you, Paul says. First job, hold on to it. Stay on task with it. Stay focused. It has been entrusted to you for a purpose. As you can tell from the story of the gospel first arriving in Thessalonica, the mobs and the riots, it was not an easy place, Thessalonica, to be a Christian. It was not an easy place to follow Jesus. And those converts to Christianity that Paul saw and that had continued to grow because of the testimony of other Thessalonians, that brought them into a challenging world. Paul encourages them, and this encouragement is true for all believers everywhere, that holding fast is not an easy thing to do. Right? I mean, it sounds like, just, just hold on, don't worry. Uh, it sounds like that would be an easy thing to do. It is not. To be faithful to that which has been entrusted to you is a challenge, because it's being buffeted all the time from every side. So the first piece of advice that Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica is hold on. It's sort, of a, it's sort of a stand your ground, but it's not the end in itself. It's the preparation. It's sort of building a firm foundation from which something else is going to happen. And Paul says it this way in chapter 3, verse 1, again, which we read this morning. He said, pray for us that the word might speed on and be honored. I love that phrase. That the word might speed on and be honored. If hold on is the defensive act, that is the, pr the preserving act, to make sure that the gospel is, is um, protected and kept pure and clear, then the second act, that the word, pray that the word speeds ahead and is honored. Is that not just a great description of evangelism? 
right? I mean, let's pray that the gospel speeds on from here. Let's pray that the gospel is honored because of the way that people live out the gospel here, right? So Paul says, hold fast and pray that the word speeds on and is honored in the lives of those Thessalonican believers. So Paul hears of and writes to a church that is thriving in the midst of terrible adversity. And what he tells them is okay. Hold on and pray that the gospel spreads on from you outward. So our brothers and sisters from Thessalonica some 2,000 years ago were living out the call of the gospel in the midst of a church, in the midst of an incredibly challenging and hostile environment. They were facing incredible hardships as they tried to hold fast and as they tried to stay true to the vision to see the gospel proclaimed, to speed and be honored. Now, as I visit Holy Cross Sullivan's Island this morning... While you are not facing anywhere near the kind of opposition that the Thessalonicans were, there's challenges here at Holy Cross. You are living out your calling as a church in the midst of some kind of trying times. Your rector has been called up to be a bishop somewhere else. He's leaving you. Your associate rector has been called up to become the rector of a church somewhere else. Your musician is retiring, although I have to say, I, I had to ask, I had to double up and say, this guy's retiring? <laughs> so you don't look like a retiree, but um, all right. Your youth minister, he's not here anymore. Although I think, have you called? Yeah. He's, so, he's getting confirmed for that. That's you. No. <laughs> Who? Did you point to him or did I make that up in my head? That's the old one. You're the old one that left. Are you retiring too? You're retiring as well? No, I'm just kidding. All right. But does that not all feel a little bit unnerving? Does that not feel a little bit overwhelming? Are, are, you know what, Bishop? We also have one of our former associate rectors who's been gone a long time, just happens to be here. We're, Peter Mitchell's back there. Good to see you, brother. But, I mean, seriously, like, have there not been some moments where you've thought, Something wrong with us? What, what, what's going on? What, what, what have we done to lose our rector and our associate rector and our musician and our youth? Like, what's wrong with Holy Cross? And I'm going to bet you, because this is the way we do in the church in America today, there's been a moment or two where you've thought, maybe I should go to another church. Maybe this is my moment to look and to, and to sort of look around and to see maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another church that's not losing their rector and their associate rector and their musician all at one time. I want you to hear the words of Paul. Hold fast and pray that still, even in this day, even in the midst of these challenges, the gospel speeds on and is honored from this place in the midst of these challenges, which really are, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to put our cards on the table, are nothing compared to being assaulted and beaten and challenged by mobs and rioters. I mean, imagine if that's what you faced when you walked down the street in Sullivan's Island every day. People throwing rocks at you. And, and uh, you know? So here's what I offer you. And I'm merely giving to you 
the same advice that Paul gave to the church at Thessalonica. In these challenging days, stand firm, hold fast, and continue to pray that even in these days, the gospel, unhindered by any of these changes, able to thrive and to be productive on its own wherever it is, no matter what the situation, that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored from this place, even in the midst of this challenge. And that sums it up. That's what Paul had for the Thessalonians. That's what I have for you. That's what you're called to in uncertain and unsettling days. Faithfulness to the scriptural faith as it's been revealed and passed on from others to us. And serious and earnest prayer and a dedication of your life in the midst of whatever challenges you're going through that the gospel from you would speed and be honored. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.